the crowd, huh? <laughs> All right, well, how many of you were here a few months ago, more than a few months ago, when Jeff Chapman was here as part of our Truro Heritage Series? Okay, a bunch of you, way more than the eight o'clockers, just saying. Uh, not that it's a competition. Anyway, uh, he said a lot of good things. As you remember, Jeff was a former associate rector here, and then was the interim rector before Martin Minns. Anyway, one story I particularly remember, maybe you do too. He was talking about being in a class on spiritual formation and ministry led by the late Dallas Willard. And he discussed how the first night they had a social, right? A time to, you know, there were refreshments, just get to know one another because we're gonna be, they're gonna be in this class at a retreat center for two weeks together. So here's a chance to, get to know one another. And the next morning, Dallas began class by saying, how was last night? How'd it go? Well, of course he was there, at least for the first part of it. And uh, people said, oh, it was nice, and I like the food, or you know, whatever. We, it was good to get to know people. And finally somebody said, I'm sure Dallas was waiting for this, somebody said, well, how about you? What'd you think? What'd you notice? And he said, I watched you do the ABCs. And, we all, and a pause, and we're all going, ABCs? He said, attendance, buildings, and cash. <laughs> That's what clergy do. Now, I remember this story particularly, that Jeff told it, because I took the same class. I wasn't there at the same time. And the same thing happened to us, our class. We had the social. The next day, he asked us about it. People said a few inane things, and then he made his observation. I watched you do your ABCs, attendance, building, and cash. Like, you understand, the first night of a class at a retreat center for two weeks with fellow clergy, uh, you know, everyone's a little nervous. Of course, we're clergy. We wouldn't admit that we're nervous. Uh, we did uh, want... We did what so many of us do in situations like that, right? We checked each other out. No, of course we didn't do that. We were interested in one another. We wanted to get to know one another. But yeah, but we were also checking each other out. Where do we fit? Where do they fit? Where am I in the pecking order? So when Dallas told us you did the ABCs, all of us laughed kind of ruefully, chuckled, you know, embarrassed because he had named it. He had called it. We were working out a kind of pecking order. Of course, not me. I didn't. I, I, I wasn't in a parish, right? I 
I've been teaching seminary, and now I'm moving into diocesan work with 70 congregations and $20 million in a trust fund. <laughs> no, of course not. Uh, I had. I'd fallen right into that trap all the time, pretending not to. Well, I thought of this, that incident, both Jeff's telling of it, and, I, you know, and as soon as he told it, I remembered. And um, as I read and reread this passage that was appointed for today, it doesn't take much imagination, does it, to see it in our minds. A group of Pharisees, and uh, invited by a prominent leader, were called, he's said to be the, uh, a ruler of the Pharisees, so he was a muckety-muck among Pharisees. And um, they invited Jesus, and he watches them take uh, jockeying for place, right? Noticing the pecking order, pushing who's going to be sitting at the place of honor, wanting to get close to the host or the honored guest, and uh, wanting, of course, part of wanting to get close to the honored guest was wanting everyone to see that they belonged up there at that honored position and not in a lower seat. And Jesus notices what they're doing, just like Dallas noticed what we were doing. And his little parable catches them in the act, the little parable he tells, just as Dallas's words about the ABCs caught us. He said, when you go to a wedding feast, notice he doesn't talk about the dinner where they are, a wedding feast over here, right? When you go to a wedding feast where you don't take the place of honor, where you may be asked to take a lower seat, and then with shame you have to move to the lowest place, no, when you go, go and sit in the lowest place that you may be asked to sit up higher. And then he gives the clincher, as he often does. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, did you notice? Not just you'll be humbled if you push to the front, but if you humble yourself, you will be exalted. There is a real reward in the kingdom for humility, even though it doesn't always feel that way, doesn't always look that way. Let's look at the scene again, the scene that Jesus watched. On the one hand, it's typical and expected, right? It's a group of leaders. They all know one another. They kind of know the pecking order. No problem with pushing forward and taking a place of honor. Maybe, actually, it's a way of honoring the honored one by pushing forward, everyone wanting to be close, everyone wanting to sit close by. They have comfort with the host and the other leaders. But what if you're an invited outsider? What if you don't know the rules of the game? What if you don't know who's who and where you should sit? What would you do? Where would you sit? And I've also been thinking, as I think about this story, who's missing? Who's not even at the table? Who's welcomed, but who's not welcome? I think if we think of this little parable that way, this little homely bit of wisdom that our mother might give us gets a slight bit of edge. And that's something that's even clearer if we zoom back and look at the verses right before and right after. Who's missing from this table? Part one. 
the lectionary skips over the first part of the passage. It has the, remember verse 1? Verse 1, it says, all eyes were on Jesus. They were watching him intently. And then it skips over what was happening, why they were watching so intently. If you read the passage, you'll discover the reason they were watching carefully is that they had brought in a man with dropsy. Dropsy is edema, probably someone who had congestive heart failure, right, all swollen. And there he was in the midst of them. And they're all watching him intently. They're watching Jesus to see what he would do. Jesus knew what they were asking. We were told he responded to them. He responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees and said, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent, right? It's a complete setup. I hope you see that. It's a complete setup. Their rules say you don't do work on the Sabbath and healing is work, right? But here is a man sick in front of them that they've put there as a test to see what Jesus would do. Well, they knew what Jesus was going to do, right? He's healed on the Sabbath before, at least three other times in Luke before we get to this point. Chapters 4, 6, and 13 show Jesus healing on the Sabbath. Maybe he hadn't done it in an intimate group with the Pharisees looking right close, but he'd done it. They brought that man in on purpose, and they watched him carefully to see what he would do. They must have known he would do it again. They knew he was likely to disobey their laws and heal the man, and then they'd get him, which, of course, Jesus did. And then the little clincher, as always, the little clincher comes. Which of you, having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into the well on the Sabbath day, would not pull him out? Those words sink in. Which of you, if you had a donkey in the well, wouldn't pull him out? He's saying, you don't value this man. You value this man less than you value your donkey. Really? You value your animals more than this man? So much for their, love, their obedience to a merciful, steadfast, loving God, Right? The parable, simple-sounding wisdom about what seat to take at a wedding feast, takes place right after this incident of Jesus healing a man on the Sabbath, right after he challenges them about valuing animals above people. It made me wonder what happened next to the healed man. We're told Jesus sends him away, probably to avoid further embarrassment, but what if he stayed? Where would he sit? We know where the Pharisees would have him sit. Not in a place of honor. Would he even be invited to a wedding feast? Still suffering from edema. And if Jesus were the host, would he invite that healed man to take a higher seat? Who's missing from the table? Now let's move ahead to part two. A little par- after the little parable about what seat to take at the wedding feast, Jesus turns his attention to the host. A prominent Pharisee, as we've said, a ruler, likely the man, had set the dinner party up deliberately 
to shame Jesus. It was, there was pure intentionality. So it's to him that Jesus turns next. When you give a dinner, he says, don't invite your friends or brothers or relatives or rich neighbors so you can invite them, so they can invite you back and show how influential and important a person you are. By the way, he doesn't say that, but that's certainly the intent. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they can't repay you. In other words, your blessing will come from God, not from the recognition you get for how important you are. Now, this goes against everything in that culture, right? The poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, they're, they're clearly not blessed. That was the understanding. The reason they're that way is because they aren't blessed by God. Riches and health were seen to be a sign of God's blessing, which, of course, at one level they are, right? But not the preeminent sign of blessing. So if they are healthy and well-off, they must be blessed. And these others are not. Jesus is saying the opposite. Blessing comes from welcoming the unwelcome. Blessing comes from noticing those on the fringe. Blessing comes from inviting the broken to be healed. And he's also saying something like this. Just what kind of blessing do you want? Blessing from everyone thinking that you're a big shot? Or blessing from God himself at the resurrection of the just. Now remember who Jesus is talking to. Well, of course he's talking to us, but he's talking to the host, right? The ruler of the Pharisees, who's supposed to be an arbiter of God's blessings and ways. And Jesus is showing him up. He's just shamed him by challenging his point of view something he's done throughout this scene. When Jesus heals on the Sabbath, when he challenges the guests who are pushing for the seats of honor, and now as he challenges the host about his invitation list, well, he's challenging us too, isn't he? And I can't say that I particularly like it, truth be known. We've been looking over the last weeks at Luke's discipleship manual, right? Jesus is preparing his disciples for his death and resurrection and for life after that. How do you live? What does it look like? And this is another piece of that preparation. And week after week, we've gotten both things, challenges and invitations, and they're linked, aren't they? Today is no exception. We are receiving an invitation to be exalted to be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And we are receiving a challenge to look at the way our lives do not resemble the life of the one we serve. I have to say that these, these verses have really been working on me in the last few weeks. I've asked myself, 
Mary, have you changed since that incident in Dallas class? Do I notice who's missing? Who's on the fringe? Do I reach out, sit with, talk to, invite them? Or, or, or do I keep looking for and hanging out with the people who make me comfortable, who add something to my sense of self? You know, Dallas shaped me in that class, not just by what he taught, but how he taught. You know, there'd be irritating, all right, I'll say it, stupid questions. And he would answer them patiently, even reverently, questions I would probably, as a teacher myself, I don't know, I, I'm embarrassed to say, I won't, I'll just stop, put a period there. <laughs> anyway, even if the question, in my humble opinion, was completely <laughs> off track, or worse, he listened and paid attention and answered. He seemed to honor the less honorable more, if that makes sense. That was Jesus' way too. Is it my way? Or at least, is it more my way now than it was 20 years ago? I hope so, but may it continue to grow in me. The second way these verses have been crawling inside of me is as I think and pray for you all, for us at Truro. It's, it's really, I've been longing, I continue to long for Truro to demonstrate Christ-likeness more and more. And I wonder, are we the kind of community that would make Jesus smile? Who welcomes the outsider? Who calls the one sitting in a low seat to come to a higher seat? Are we likely to take a lower seat ourselves, literally or figuratively? in order to allow someone else sit in a higher one? Are we willing as a congregation to take the lower seat instead of our esteemed place in Anglicanism? Who do we talk to after church or during the week? How do we talk to them or about them? Some of you are so good at this. I watch you. You're good at noticing and caring and pulling in those folks on the fringes, welcoming them to sit up higher. Will you notice when we don't and teach the rest of us how to do that so that we really together can be the people God wants us to be? That's my hope and prayer, that more and more Jesus wouldn't have to tell the parable he told to those Pharisees because we would be demonstrating Christ-likeness in our welcoming of others to sit at the table and to come up higher. So let's pray together. Jesus, you humbled yourself coming from heaven, being a servant of your Father, even unto death. May we walk in your ways, humbling ourselves and raising others up so that we may be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And that we as a congregation may hear your words, well done. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.